Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That is C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also read my regular CBSSports.com column, Agents Take on NFL Contract and Salary Cap Matters. This week, we are going to take a look at defensive player discontent. Uh, first player we're going to focus our attention on is Daniel Hunter, Vikings defensive end. Um, Hunter had been absent from all the offseason activities because of him wanting something to address his contract that he's outperformed. He signed a five-year, $72 million extension heading through his contract year um, in 2018, and the market has significantly passed it by. Vikings were able to placate him, so he would show up for last week's um, mandatory minicamp. There was $38.25 million of money remaining in the three years left on his contract, 2021 through 2023. There are still $38.25 million of money remaining. He was supposed to make uh, $12.75 million this year, still is making $12.75 million. Um, he was going to lose $100,000 for not satisfying the workout program to get his uh, workout bonus. But that's now been taken care of. This $12.75 million now is a $5.6 million June 15th roster bonus. The contract was signed either June 14th or June 15th, which means that the $5.6 million is getting prorated on the salary cap and also a $7.15 million um, fully guaranteed base salary. Um, prior to this modification, only $3.3 million of the $12.15 million base salary was fully guaranteed. Now, essentially, the whole $12.75 million he was going to get is fully guaranteed. And in this uh, reworking of the contract, there were $500,000 of per-game roster bonuses in 2021, which now have been taken out. So they shifted the $12.5 million around. One thing on the roster bonuses, the per-game roster bonuses, he didn't play a game last year, Hunter. So he's out $500,000 um, from not earning the uh, roster bonus. <laughs> so um, at least this year, if he misses any games, non-issue. But let's get to how the uh, roster, the 615 roster bonus works. It's prorated on the cap at $1.12 million because they added two voiding dummy years to the contract to stretch out the proration. So now the proration, so now those two years void 30 days prior to the start of the 2024 league year. That shouldn't come into play because the you would think that he's going to get a new contract before then where those voiding dumb years become real years, so it should be a non-issue. But nonetheless, for cap purposes now, that $5.6 million is prorated 2021 through um, 2025. And in essence, what that does is they've created some significant cap room um, doing this. Uh, Hunter's cap number was $17.25 million um, before uh, this modification. And now it's $12.77 million. They pick up $4.48 million of cap room. And what they immediately did was they signed Sheldon Richardson. 
Richardson signed a one-year deal, uh, $3.6 million, $3 million fully guaranteed. He's got avoiding dummy 2022 year. There's a $1.925 million signing bonus. So part of uh, basically half of the cap space they picked up went to Sheldon Richardson. $2,316,666 cap number for 2021 for Richardson. Now, back to what happened with this um, Daniel Hunter deal. In 2020, his salary, his uh, not, it, it's changed. He's going to make $20 million in 2022. They added an $18 million um, fifth day of the league year roster bonus. They kept the $500,000 per game roster bonuses intact, $100,000 workout bonuses intact, and the base salary is now $1.4 million. There was $25.5 million left in the final two years. His 2023 salary drops to $4.9 million, $500,000 uh, per game roster bonus, $100,000 workout bonus. So there's $5.5 million of salary in 2023 now as opposed to $12.75 million. So that's a $7.25 million raise in 2022. It has been characterized that they'll have to cut um, Hunter, if they don't reach an agreement before the roster bonus um, comes due. Not so fast on that one. Because, one, the Vikings have automatic conversion rights, the roster bonus in this contract. When this first thing was announced, that was, that's what I wanted to know. Can, if things aren't going well in negotiation, because I'm sure the intent is to try to reach an agreement with Hunter next year when he has two years left on his contract like they did of Adam Thielen and the roster bonus is put there to put pressure on him. But Vikings still don't necessarily have to give him a new deal if they are miles apart in a negotiation. They're not going to cut him. They'll exercise the automatic conversion rights. That's why they have the two dummy voiding years already there. If you wanted to put more pressure on the Vikings to do a deal by that date or cut them, the automatic conversion rights should not have been in the contract. Now, paragraph 13, which is entitled Automatic Conversions. Player and club agree that during the duration of this contract, clubs shall have the right but not the obligation to convert any portion of players 2022 roster bonus and the signing bonus player and club agree that an email and or phone call from club to player or player certified agent if applicable shall suffice in notifying the player that club is exercising its rights under this paragraph and will make such conversion the amount thereof and the effective date of the conversion the conversion if a club exercises its rights to convert such 22 roster bonus club shall use the form signing bonus in the language attached addendum 3 and the 22 roster bonus shall be payable as outlined in this contract. Player agrees to execute superseding NFL contract and any other documents that are reasonably requested by club to document this conversion within three business days after receiving such contract or documentation from the club and without receiving any additional consideration from the club. Club further agrees that player shall be in breach of this contract if he refuses or fails to promptly and timely execute the NFL player contracts requested by the club. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So basically, that's the, the gist of this is they can convert the roster bonus into signing bonus if push comes to shove, if they're at an impasse. Now, this roster bonus, fifth day of the 2022 league year, if they do that, he can't hold out because of the way it's worded. 
Uh, player will earn a roster bonus amount of 18 million if he's a member of the club's 90-man roster on the fifth day of the 22 league year. The roster bonus, if earned, will be paid subject to player timely reporting to club's 2022 mandatory training camp. As follows: six million within 10 days of player time recording the club's 2022 mandatory training camp. Six million on or about September 30th, 2022. Six million on or about November 30th, 2022. Players shall be subject to forfeiture of salary to the maximum per, maximum extent permitted under Article 4, Section 9 of the CBA. So the Vikings have protected themselves. So it was reported that hey, if they don't do a deal by the fifth day of the league year, sometime late March next year, they got to cut them. No, they're going to convert the bonus if they don't do anything. If they're at an impasse, they're miles apart, they'll convert the bonus and then go from there. And he's now boxed himself in where he will lose this $18 million if he has a training camp holdout. Smart move by the Vikings. So um, right now, Hunter's 2022 cap number is $26.12 million. So that's going to be... A high cap number. So that's going to be reason enough for maybe Minnesota to put pressure on them to get something done. With the conversion rights, they can convert the entire thing, pick up $13.5 million of cap room, uh, spread that out, $4.5 million 2022, uh, uh, spread that out through uh, 2023, 24-25. Uh, those cap numbers go up $4.5 million each year. And what's going to happen is cap number is going to drop to 12.62 million. So hopefully we've seen the last of this Daniel Hunter saga. He gets a new he gets a new deal sometime before the roster bonus is due at the beginning of the league year. It's done before free agency starts next year. If he goes out and has the type of year he's had in the past, where He's basically been close to a 15-sack guy. Hopefully he does that. No problem, non-issue. We're not dealing with the potential everything-goes-south situation. But the main point I'm trying to make here is the Vikings have protected themselves. They didn't give him a hammer of leverage where they're basically at his mercy and have to do what he wants to get done. Otherwise, they have to cut him. They'll convert the roster bonus to signing bonus and go from there. If push comes comes to shove. What's up? It's Mike Jones from the Football Jones Podcast. I know you're enjoying your time with Inside the Cap, but once you're done, I want to invite you to come over and check out my podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics around the NFL. High-profile guests from the coach, player, and front office ranks, as well as the top league insiders. Check out the Football Jones Podcast. Another fine product brought to you by Empire Media. Now, we've got uh, Stefan Gilmore of the New England Patriots. The cornerback turns 31 in September. Did not show up to training camp. Had the uh, quad issue last year. Um, New England has something called the Patriot Way. In my opinion, from being an agent, the Patriot Way is the Patriots... uh, will get rid of a player a year too early as opposed to a year too late. That's applied to everybody except Tom Brady. Um, Brady left town before they could get rid of him. They probably would have wanted him back as quarterback, but he's like, nope, my contract's done. I'm out. I'm going to go to Tampa. Everything's worked out great for him. Um, We saw this happen with Richard Seymour. Got rid of him. Maybe cost him a Super Bowl. 
um, because he still had some gas left in the tank. This has been the M.O., whether it's salary, um, contract demands, um, or an aging player. Get rid of a player a year too early as opposed to a year too late. Last year, they reworked uh, um, Gilmore's contract because he was he was defense player of the year 2019, signed a $65 million five-year contract um, to come to the Patriots in 2017, $13 million per year, outperformed the contract. So what they did was they raised this 2020 base salary by $2.5 million, gave him $2.5 million in per-game roster bonuses, um, dropped his um, base salary um, – in 2021 from 1.5 million to 7 million also added 2 million dollar incentive for being defensive player of the year um to make sure that he was still going to be eligible for that 17th game check a roster bonus of $411,765 for the 17th game was added to 2021 um because if you make a substantial modification to the contract if you were going to be eligible for a um 17th game check, that changes it. A simple contract restructure doesn't. So now Gilmore's cash this year, he's got $500,000 per game roster bonuses, is $7,911,765 going into the last year of the contract. There were rumors last year that the trading deadline that he could be traded for adequate compensation. Uh, rumors were New England wanted a first-round pick. Um 31-year-old guy's going to be a 31-year-old corner. You're not getting a first-round pick if they want to trade him. Thing is, New England, that's one position they didn't substantially address early in the draft or in free agency, cornerback. So they kind of need him, but that kind of his age and their philosophy the Patriot way suggest they're open to trading him for the right price. He wants, wants a new deal. Going into the contract year, felt he was underpaid. So... Something's going to have to give here. And with cornerbacks, they're dicey propositions once you get to be um, Gilmore's aides. If you look at who's made the Pro Bowl at past 10 years, 31 or older is a cornerback. The list ain't long. Champ Bailey did it twice at 33 and 34 in 2011-2012. And in 2012, he was second-team All-Pro by AP. Charles Woodson, age 35 in 2011. He was really more of a hybrid slot corner, not a true outside corner at that point in time. And then the next year, he went moved full-time to safety, led the NFL in interceptions in 2011, first-team All-Pro. Charles Tillman in 2012, 31, first-team All-Pro. And Richard Sherman in 2019, um, 31 years old, second-team All-Pro. So you've had one, two, three, four, five instances in the past 10 years of a cornerback being 31 or older making the Pro Bowl on the original ballot, not as a replacement player. Um, So the odds of Gilmore holding up and playing at that high level um, if you did an extension, ages 32, 33, 34, 35, depending upon the length of the extension, aren't great. <laughs> now, if New England were to trade him, <laughs> compensation isn't going to be great given his age, I would think, and also the history of cornerbacks. We had Darius Slay at 29, um, who's not quite Gilmore, um, went from the Lions to Philadelphia for a third and fifth round pick. Um, then that was last year, last offseason. And a couple of years ago, 
Uh, you had Marcus Peters, who had some off-the-field character issues, which may have impacted the compensation. Peters in a six-round pick. Uh, Kansas City traded Peters in a six-round pick to the Rams for a 2019 second-round pick and a 2018 fourth-round pick. Uh, I know Julio Jones just essentially went for a second and a fourth, um, but I'm assuming that the compensation is going to be more in between these two cornerback uh, trades, Peters and Slay, should you trade um, Gilmore. And if you trade him, he's going to want a new contract. Um, sometimes a guy will take the change of scenery, like we saw with Jalen Ramsey and Jamal Adams, and be fine without a new contract. But at his age, he's probably going to you probably have to do a new deal simultaneously. And the most analogous one would be Slay, because when Slay was traded, a year left on his contract, did a new deal um, with Philadelphia, um, $50.05 million on a three-year extension, averages $16,683,333, million in guarantees, $26.05 million fully guaranteed. Didn't like the structure, a little too backloaded for um, my taste, but... I'd imagine that's where a deal would be, the $17 million per year range. Um, maybe it's a three-year extension, whether it's New England or we're talking wherever um, Gilmore could be traded because it may come down to have to make a choice between um, J.C. Jackson and Gilmore. Um, Jackson will be 26 in November. Restricted free agent playing on a second-round tender, $3.384 million for this year. Um, had nine interceptions last year, but could be kind of boom or bust. Um, did give up some big plays, but had a penchant for um, creating turnovers uh, with the nine interceptions. Um, it was a little surprising to me they gave him the second-round tender. And the reason I say that is Malcolm Butler was in the same situation, undrafted guy when his rookie contract expired after the three years, they gave him a first-round tender. Maybe because of cap dropping so much that they didn't feel the need to give a second-round tender, first-round tender, because they knew that nobody was going to give up a first-round pick for him. So they could safely put the second-round tender on him, and everything would be fine. Um, I figure as long as the wheels don't fall off of Jackson, his worst case is a Dory Jackson. Titans didn't pick up his fifth-year option this year. Let him head into free agency. Giants signed him. $39 million over three years is the base value. $26.5 million in guarantees. Incentives and escalators can make the deal $44.5 million uh, total. So I figure as long as the wheels don't fall off J.C. Jackson, that's probably his worst-case scenario. Cap is going to go up. NFL set a salary cap ceiling. Of $208.2 million. Cap's currently $182.5 million. They set the ceiling for a reason. I'm operating under the assumption that the cap's going to be at the ceiling. And any excess money is going to be used to pay back uh, from the the money from the losses last year. Um, which salary cap floor kept from it dropping to where it really should have been. So any excess will accelerate the pay, repayment of the losses, which means the salary cap in future years can start growing more quickly. But J.C. Jackson can kind of clean up uh, some of the big plays he gave up. 
and still be one of the better ball hawks in the league, then he's going to blow past my worst-case scenario projection for him. But um, Gilmore, it would not surprise me if New England trades him, given my take on the Patriot way, even though it would leave a major hole in their defense as they try to bounce back from a 7-9 and um, season. But signability has sometimes played an issue in how Bill, Bill Belichick has uh, made decisions about very productive players. So we'll see if the same holds true of Gilmore. Because he was signed as an unrestricted free agent, he's got an interesting additional penalty um, should he still be on the roster. And there's a holdout. Um, he's got the $50,000 per day for Miss East Day and Miss Training Camp. Because he signed as an unrestricted free agent, he also, for each missed preseason game, it's uh, one game check. So that's basically almost $390,000. He's got a $7 million base salary. That would be the additional fine for each preseason game he missed. So we'll stay tuned on this one. We'll see what happens if Gilmore shows up to training camp or he's going to be dug in trying to get a new contract or trying to get out of town. Uh, another cornerback in the AFC East isn't happy. Xavier uh, Howard um, turns 38, uh, 28 on the 4th of July, not 38, 28. He's played one year of the New Year's of the $75.25 million five-year extension he signed in 2019, which at the time, in a stagnant cornerback market, barely moved the needle, needle made him the highest-paid cornerback, by average yearly salary, it was Josh Norman's 2016 deal at $15 million per year. And the $75.25 million, $15.05 million per year. Didn't move the needle at all. You got four years left on your contract. There's $49.325 million left in the deal. To me, you probably should have just played it out and gone the franchise tag route, or either you should have been looking at the franchise tag to guide you for what your deal should have been. In 2020, cornerback franchise tag was $16.38 million. You get a second tag in 2021, that'd be $19,605,600. The average of two tags, just under $18 million per year. Uh, at the very least, because the market had been stagnant, you had to get an average of what the first franchise tag was. <laughs> um, and the Dolphins didn't do themselves any favors because they went out and signed Byron Jones for slightly more on the average for what that franchise tag is. He signed for $82 million over five years as a free agent, $16.5 million. And this is where the <laughs> situation gets harder for... Howard, because the guy on the other side isn't as good as you. We're not even talking about how the market jumped with Tredavious White, Marlon Humphrey, and Jalen Ramsey at $20 million per year. The guy on the other side makes more money than you. And then you got the other problem, which I saw when I was an agent, is when a team would take care of the outsiders as opposed to the insiders, Believe me, clients would bitch about that to me. They're taking care of the free agents, but they ain't taking care of us who've been here. So this is kind of a self-created problem by Miami. 
Because the other corner, who's not as good, who has... Howard had 10 interceptions last year. The first guy since 2007 to have 10 interceptions. That's Antonio Cromartie. Um, not that interceptions are totally indicative of pass of your your ability to cover receivers, but in six years, Byron Jones has four interceptions. Had two last year. Was not a Pro Bowler. Howard, first team All NFL. I get his beef. The problem is, you have four years remaining on your contract. I know Brian Flores said it's a unique situation. Teams hate setting contractual precedents and setting a precedent of doing something substantial for a guy with four years. I have a hard time seeing that being a precedent that Miami wants to set. But at the same time, I've also thought the teams could distinguish one situation from another. And that whole we don't want to set a precedent thing kind of rang hollow to me. Um, So... I don't have tons of sympathy for that. I'm more sympathetic to the fact that there are four years left on the contract. You made a choice to sign a bad deal. <laughs> so that's kind of on you. <laughs> um, because let's let's look at this from the franchise tag thing. Uh, if he played out his rookie contract, he had a little under $1.3 million left. And then went two franchise tags. Then it's going to be making slightly over $37.25 million. Now, the cash 2019 through 2021 and his contract is, is a little over 39.3 million so the trade-off for not playing the franchise tag game was three contract you made an extra basically 2.1 million under the deal you signed as opposed to going year to year on the franchise tag potentially and then you gave up three more years UFA years for $37.225 million. So, I don't like the trade-off. The only guaranteed money left on this deal is this year's base salary of $12.075 million and $6.775 million of the uh, $12.375 million base salary in 2022 is guaranteed for injury only. This is a situation where I think maybe the best or what is probably something Miami might be willing to do is, and this is a situation which is most analogous to Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs had four years left on his contract last year when he got traded from the um, Vikings to the Bills. And they increased his um, 2020 compensation by $3.3 million by borrowing money from Remaining remaining years of his contract, and also pretty much guaranteed um, his 2021 salary. So, um, salary went from 11.4 million to 14.7 in 2020. His 2021 compensation decreased by 316,666 dollars. 2022 by 1.425 million. 2023 uh, 1.45 million, and they kind of modified his salary escalators as well. But essentially, he got a $3.3 million raise in 2021, and then more guarantees for 2022. I mean, for 2021. So, 2022 salary goes up, 2021 guarantees increase. So, maybe you fully guarantee the 2022 base salary, so he's got some more security there. You give him a raise, take it out of 
um, the remaining years. But I don't see them just ripping this thing up and starting over and go, hey, you were great last year. <laughs> we're going to pay you at the top of the market. Stranger things have happened. I would just be shocked. It also wouldn't surprise me that Howard demands a trade if they're not willing to do anything um, for him um, to his liking. Um, hold out. He doesn't have the preseason game penalty that Gilmore would have for a holdout. He signed an extension, not an unrestricted free agent, so that's $50,000 per day. One unique aspect is that um, Howard fired his agent who did this deal, hired a new agent. The old agent is entitled to a fee for the remainder of the contract, so the new agent only gets paid on new money. So the new agent has incentive for there to be new money into the contract Otherwise, at least from a contract from a contract standpoint, he's working for free. May have the marketing, I don't know, but when you got four years left on a deal, that's tough. So, um, and if I'm Miami, I know he's got the knee issue that has kept him out of games before um, most of the 2019 season. If I'm trading Xavier Howard, given he's in his prime. And he's locked in on a contract that the new team would have to deal with one way, shape, or form. I want Jalen Ramsey, Jamal Adams type compensation. You're sending me two first round picks back or we have nothing to talk about. And there's probably going to be another pick coming back, uh, a day three pick or a, or a day two pick as well. <laughs> so we're talking two first round picks and a third or fourth round pick to me, if I'm Miami, to give up on this guy. So this is going to be another one that potentially could be very acrimonious. Hey there, it's John Kime of the John Kime Report podcast. I'm glad you're enjoying the Inside the Cap podcast with Joel Corey. When you're done, I invite you to listen to my podcast. Twice a week, my guests and I discuss the Washington football team and the NFL. The show features numerous NFL insiders, former and current players and executives, and taps into the insight gained in my 25-plus years covering this franchise. Check out the John Kahn Report, another fine product offered by Empire Media. And speaking of another acrimonious situation, Chandler Jones in Arizona, 31-year-old this season, final year of a um, $82.5 million five-year contract he signed in 2017, as a franchise player, that deal was still a little light to me when he signed it because Olivier Vernon the year before signed for $17 million a year, so I don't really get why you're signing for less than Olivier Vernon. And this is a team that gave up a second-round pick and a player in Jonathan Cooper to get you uh, the prior year in 2016. So the deal wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. Um, right biceps injury kept. Chandler Jones out of most of the 2020 season, had one sack in five games, which was uncharacteristic of him, had 19 sacks in 2019. This is another guy that has missed all the offseason, didn't show up to the minicamp, was subjected to the $93,000, $85,000 fine, um, just like um, Gilmore and Xavier Howard, whether they were fined the full amount, we'll never know, but even though Jones was basically 2020 was a lost season for him, over the past five years, 2016 to 2020, only one guy has more sacks. 
Hopkins and Chandler Jones at 61 and a half. That's Aaron Donald. Arguably the best player in football. Had 65.5 sacks over those five years. So third is Cameron Jordan at 55.5. Um, age isn't as big of a concern as it would be for Stephon Gilmore. Because 31-year-old pass rushers, um, there are a whole lot more of those guys, 31 and older, who over the past decade who have been to the Pro Bowl or name or gotten all pro honors. Um, you had I'm just going to go through the whole list, but Dwight Freeney at 31 in 2011. Andre Carter at 32, 2011. Future Hall of Famer Julius Peppers, 32 in 2012. Cameron Wake is all over here, is a uh, 31-year-old. 2013, Cameron Wake, 31-year-old pro bowler. And this is original ballot. 32, Cameron Wake, same team all pro and pro bowl. At 32, Cam- Cameron Wake. At 34 in 2016, same team All-Pro and Pro Bowler. You know, Lorenzo Alexander one year go to the Pro Bowl, um, had a career year at 33. Terrell Suggs at 34 going to the Pro Bowl. So you don't have the same concern about a drop-off. Chandler Jones, I would think, should get the benefit of the doubt <laughs> that last year wasn't indicative of a huge drop-off for him. <laughs> in terms of what he has left in the tank. He had 19 sacks in 2019. Um, One thing he has a legitimate gripe about is this gets back to the taking care of the outsiders thing um, as well. They traded for DeAndre Hopkins. Three years left on his deal, gave him a new deal, which made him the highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL at $27.25 million per year. If I'm him, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm just coming off of 19 sacks. I got two years left on my deal. This guy hadn't done anything for us, even though he was great last year, Hopkins, at the time when they signed him. He hasn't made one contribution to the team, and you're going to bend over backwards, make him the highest-paid non-quarterback in the league? That wouldn't sit well with me if I'm Chandler Jones. So I get why he's um, upset. He's got a cap number $20,176,388,000. So to franchise him next year, if push came to shove, it would be $24,211,666 because the 120% provision would apply for him. If I'm Chandler Jones, considering pass rushers typically make more than wide receivers, I want to be the highest paid non-quarterback on the team, which in turn would make me the highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL, at least temporarily until um, T.J. Watt signs a contract. So if I'm Chandler Jones, I'm dismissing last year as an anomaly. I want $82.5 million over three years. Pay me $27.5 million a year on an extension and the new money, and we can guarantee... The first two years, the third year can become, by third year, I mean actual total, real, 21-2022 is going to fully guaranteed exciting. He's got $15.5 million in cash this year. And then 2023, which would be the second new year, um, is going to vest and guarantee early, um, minimum half of it in 2022, maybe the other half when it comes up in 2023. So they um, have to make the decision so I'm vested early, and then 2024 would be unsecured. That's what I want if I'm Chandler Jones. Now, there are nine guys 
um, defensive linemen or edge rushers. That includes three, four outside linebackers who average more than $20 million per year on their deals. Um, those nine guys, if you take the average of their contracts, it's a little over $23.5 million per year. So anything you do with Chandler Jones, to me, has to put him in the um, $20 million per year club. Um, and I have a hard time if um, thinking that because he's now over 30, that the Car- Cardinals are going to get more than what they gave up to get him when he was much younger in his prime, which um, second-round pick and Jonathan Cooper to get him. <laughs> So I have a hard time thinking that the compensation they're getting in return will be um, more than that if it comes to that. We'll see if he shows up to training camp. The uh, most recent data point, those nine guys, the pass rushers, Leonard Williams, $63 million over three years, $45 million, um, in guarantees, fully guaranteed at signing. So this is another one of those where – there could be a, a holdout. Since he's a franchise player, not an unrestricted free agent, no game check fine for him, just a $50,000 per day fine. The game check fine, if you hold out, for guys who sign veteran contracts only applies to guys who signed as an unrestricted free agent. I have no idea why they made the distinction, but that's been in multiple CBAs, uh, past CBAs, and has survived into this CBA as well. But... Chandler Jones, to me, I understand more so than with Xavier Howard why he's unhappy. He's more along the lines of Stephen Gilmore in terms of me having sympathy for somebody's plight because they're both in contract years. But I think because Jones plays a position where there's more of a likelihood for you to sustain playing at a high level into your 30s, that he's the safer bet to pay at a high level as opposed to Gilmore when cornerbacks start really hitting a wall. You know what happens to um, cornerbacks with size when they're in their 30s and they're no longer great? They become safeties. So (laughs) you rush the passer, that's a skill which doesn't typically go away. But we could have uh, those three guys, Howard, Gilmore, Jones. We'll see if they're going to be training camp holdouts as well. Now, back to the positive note. Um, Chief safety Tyron Matthew has gone from being pessimistic to optimistic about an extension. About a month ago, um, there was a deleted tweet. Someone asked him about a contract extension. He said probably not getting one in KC. Um, He's singing a much different tune nowadays. Um, Talks about how he wants to finish his career in Kansas City. And also said something which really caught my attention. The Coach Spags, meaning Steve Spagnula, uh, Coach Dave, uh, Coach Merritt, meaning Dave Merritt, Coach Coach Reed, Andy, Coach Rubin, Barry, our strength coach. All these men are important to me. I can't ever see, I can't see me ever trying to walk away from that relationship. I've been through a lot in my life, so for me, I think holding on to certain relationships. I think that outweighs any monetary thing. 
any short feeling or emotion I may be dealing with in the money in, in the moment. Relationships outweigh money. That's perfect for Kansas City. Now, to me, that means maybe one or two things. That Matthew has some flexibility um, in terms of his contract demands and also um, structure since he's now optimistic about getting an extension. Um, also means he probably isn't going to wait for Jamal Adams who wants to just totally redefine the safety market or not be paid like a safety and be paid like a uh, playmaker or defensive weapon. Um, there's probably a greater likelihood that Matthew signs a deal than um, before Adams does. Um, so I found that that monetary comment was the one which uh, really caught my attention. I still think the Chiefs are going to make him the highest-paid safety. They made him the highest-paid safety when they signed him um, in 2019. He was tied to be the highest-paid safety with um, Landon Collins from from an average basis. Um, deal had $26.8 million fully guaranteed. He has the biggest cap number uh, for a safety in the NFL for 2021. Cap number, $19,733,334. And then the thing is, if he does play out the um, contract, it's impossible to franchise him because 120% provision is going to kick in. His franchise number is going to be $23.63 million. So, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> So that's where there may be some pressure on Kansas City to get a deal done with him, um, where he does have some leverage that he seems to be not willing to totally um, exert. Right now, um, the highest-paid safety is Justin Simmons, um, franchised for the second time by the Broncos, signed a four-year deal for $61 million, averaging $15.25 million per year, $35 million. Guarantees, 32.1 fully guaranteed um, in the deal. Um, one thing the Chiefs have been able to do recently with some of the high-profile guys is get deals in some way, shape, or form that are team-friendly for them. So hats off to Brant Tillis, who is their contract lead negotiator and salary cap guru. So hats off to him with the Mahomes deal, getting Travis Kelsey to take a structure, no player that Cowboy in his right mind ever should have, should have agreed to. And he got, got a little bit of a break on the Chris Jones deal. So the comment of relationships outweighing money, I see that happening again. Um, where he's going to get some sort of break. I'm not sure how it's going to play out the break. But here's one thing we've seen at the safety market in recent years. Um, since 2019 free agency after Matthew and Collins sign that it's been incremental movement in the market when someone becomes highest paid player the biggest percentage jump has been from Kevin Byer to Eddie Jackson that's 3.58 percent that basically would put uh, Matthew at 15.75 million so if you did a four-year extension given he's 29 safeties can play into their early 30s at a high level You'd be talking $63 million over four years. Now, if I'm Matthew, I'm really looking at what the Chiefs did for me in free agency. What you did for me is more important than anybody else. 
and you'd had Eric Berry on a contract averaging $13 million per year. You ended up cutting him using the posting one designation to free up space for me, but that was a $13 million per year deal. So from an average per year, 14 to 13, that's a 7.7% increase practically. And you gave me a 7.7% increase over Barry, 7.7% increase over myself essentially puts me at $16.5 million per year. (laughs) So that's really 66 over four years. Now, they can create, because of his cap number being so large, if they really want to, they can create a ton of cap room out of this deal. Um, Chiefs, according to NFLPA data right now, um, have slightly over $8.4 million of cap space because he's got a $14.55 million base salary. Let's say you drop the base salary down to $1.075 million, which is his minimum base salary in the NFL. and gave him a $20 million signing bonus on top of that. Then... That means $4 million gets prorated, four-year extension over five years. Gets prorated $4 million per year, $20 million signing bonus. And you got the uh, $1.075 million base salary. So you could create nine point, almost $9.475 million of cap room if you want to go that way. If you wanted to have the signing bonus lower, base salary a little higher, so there's less proration on a go-forward basis, or you don't necessarily need the minimum base salary. You still want to give him a $20 million signing bonus. Let's say you wanted him. You could still, if his base salary is $5.075 million, you're still going to create $5.475 million of cap space. So that's the attractive part as well for Kansas City to get a deal done. Um, the extra cap space, which you can, which obviously you could roll over to next year, but you can't franchise him because you're not going to franchise Tyron Matthew for 20, over $23 million next year. So seems like he's going to have some flexibility. Chiefs should be motivated to get this done. This deal should get done, I would think, by the start of training camp. And it should set a new floor for Jamal Adams because I'm assuming that you made Matthew the highest paid Safety by average salary. He's been a Pro Bowler, first team All Pro, past two years. No signs of slowing down. Should be willing to do it again. It sets a new floor for Jamal Adams, and at least temporarily will make Matthew the highest paid safety and probably ensure that he finishes his career in Kansas City. Well, that's going to be it for this week's Inside the Cap. Thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget you can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, that's C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L, and also at my CBSSports.com column, Agents Take on Contract and Salary Cap Matters. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next time. Goodbye.